Hey everyone, happy holidays. It's time for another one of our holiday chats. And today I've got Ayer, who joins us from the East Coast of the US. And uh, what do you want to talk about today, Ayer? I am looking to buy a business. Uh, I want to talk about the valuation. Um, I haven't made an offer yet. I want to see if, you know, what valuation, how should I structure the offer? I don't have my team set up yet, so maybe go over a little bit after the valuation part. Um, that's what I'm thinking of going over today. Awesome. All right. Okay. Well, tell me about the business. What kind of business? How big is it? Any other details that you think are important? Sure. It's a, it's a main center of franchise. Um, they, um, I mean, typically take shipping, packing. Uh, obviously, most of these also do some printing, stuff like that, uh, scanning or use computers, um, some okay. business services, basically. That's what they do. Okay. And, and what kind of revenue does it do? Uh, I have a few years now, but the, the owner, the current owner bought it in 2020. Um, and I mean, I have it, all the details since, but before then I got it from uh, the, the franchisor, right? Uh, right now for this year, year to date, it has done 420,000. Okay. The year before, it did 450. Usually, the numbers are busy, so it's a little heavier. Obviously, people are shipping a lot of gifts and um, you know stuff going on. So this year today is 420,000. Last year it was 450. The year before it was 350, okay. which is the year the owner took it over, and the year before that it was 340 and 320 and so on. So okay. Um, when so this was this new owner took over, there was a big jump, but otherwise it's been consistently going up, uh, but slowly. Okay. So it's been doing about 450,000 revenue for the last two years. If we assume that the rest of, of the, you know, we're recording this in December and they're 30,000 away from hitting that 450. So they'll likely hit that for sure. They'll likely hit that maybe a little over. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what does their cash flow look like? Do you have a, have you been shown a discretionary cash flow level or, or what have you been shown as far as the profitability? Sure. Uh, yeah, I do have the cash flow. Um, I'm, I'm talking about even that this includes, oh, I mean, the owner space taken out of this. Um, and for last year, they did about 90,000. 90,000 of EBITDA? Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fifty-five thousand, okay. uh, out of which thirty-five thousand is owner's pay, uh, so that's ninety thousand. And this year looks similar. It looks more closer to, yeah, closer to it. Okay. So, so I'm sorry. I'm going to have to run through those numbers again because I, yeah, I yeah, sure. don't quite understand what you just said. So, yep. so you're saying the the EBITDA was. 55,000. 55, and the owner paid themselves how much? 35,000. 35,000. So then you're saying the SDE, the seller's discretionary earnings is 90,000. 90,000, correct. Okay. And and so what are they asking for the business? Uh, they're asking for 190,000. For 190,000. So just over two times SDE. Yeah. Um, okay. So I, um, I just happen to have a database open here 
and wondering what but I tried some valuation services, but they all club this under other um, like our restaurants have their own category of a lot of it didn't fit into any it just comes up as other. I don't want to go buy it. Um, I was well what I get an expert on the team. What I'm what I'm finding when I when I do a quick search is I'm finding sick codes for freight forwarding for actual shipping logistics companies etc. But that's not what these guys are. These are guys. No, no, that's more like transport. Yeah, these guys are an agency, essentially, Correct. right? Yeah. So a store where you go drop off your packages, basically, or print yeah. some stuff, or yeah, get some so, supplies, maybe. So let me see here. Um, I'm just going to do a quick search and see. No. I'm just searching some popular names of these types of. Mm -hmm. Of these types of outlets, just to see if I'm coming up with yep. anything. Uh, Oh, all right. So I found a listing here for a UPS store, for example. Mm -hmm. um, and hmm. Okay. So there's not much data to go on, but in Got my it. mind, in, in, in my yeah. mind, this is, I don't know, there's, what other things do they do there? They do some copying and printing, some scanning. They mm -hmm. probably have some mailbox rentals. They have mailbox rentals. They have computer rentals. Um, they sell stamps. Um, I, I don't think they do a lot of retail sales. I'm looking at retail. It's about 15,000-ish, which is a very low percentage of their total income. I was just thinking that I should probably be searching for um, that old one that's no longer around. I'm looking this way just because I have my Excel up here. So. Okay. All right. So I'm finding in one of my databases, what I did is I searched the words mailboxes because there used to be a franchise in this business called mailboxes, et cetera. Mailboxes, et cetera, right. And I'm, and I'm finding a bunch of these here. And 
what they're showing me is they're showing me a range of between 1.8 and two and a half to 2.7 ish times SDE, which is pretty much in line with what I would have thought. You know, like the, the overall average for a, you know, a basic retail business is just over two times and that's what they Mm -hmm. priced to that. So yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems like a reasonable amount. However, let's dig into it a little bit more because one of the things that I question is I, I question the owner taking $35,000 a year as a salary. Is that mm-hmm. really the going rate for a store manager for this kind of business in your area? I, I think this year uh, the owner hired a manager and he is paying the manager $40,000 a year. So okay. it looks to be in that range. Okay. So if he pays the manager 40000 a year, that means he's left with 50000 available to him. That's correct. Okay. And so, all right. So if you buy this thing, are you going to keep the manager or are you going to do the manager's job? I'm, I'm going to keep the manager, right? So I work full-time. Uh, my wife, she was working full-time at home. Uh, so she, now that the kids are grown up a little and going to school, you know, she's trying to do something to keep herself busy during the day. And the plan is for her to spend a few hours every day there or, 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 you know, after work, I spend a few hours, uh, depending on how the day works, we'll share it, but, um, we're planning to keep the manager. Okay. All right. And, and so what did you... What, what particular questions do you have about this? You just wanted to run the, the valuation by me to see if it made sense? Uh, yeah. So, and, and the other thing is uh, there is also like a transfer fee with the franchisor. Oh, uh, okay. Basically, how does, I don't know how that works, um, what, is, what is customary. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on that as well, just to structure the offer. So that's why I was saying, you know, how do I structure the offer? You know, how, okay. So... It is customary for a lot of franchises that they have a franchise transfer fee. Sometimes they'll call it a training fee. There's different names that it goes by. Yeah. yeah. But essentially, it increases your investment. And that's exactly the way you should look at it. So, you know, this business has an asking price of 190. Most people would assume that, you know, if that's what they're asking, there's some room for negotiation. What What is the transfer fee? Uh, it's about $20,000. $20,000. So then in reality, the the asking price of this business is two ten. dollars So usually, I mean, some people might ask the seller to pay the transfer fee. Other right. people might just offer a lower amount, taking into account that they'll have to pay the transfer fee. Um, okay. There's yeah. no set standard or anything like that. Okay. No. And, and, Sometimes the franchisor will have a policy, like some franchises say that the seller has to pay the fee or that the buyer has to pay the fee. Have you met the franchisors yet? Okay. So they usually have a discovery day and a whole underwriting and application process that they run and you've gone through all of this? Yes. Okay. And are you inheriting his franchise agreement or are they making you sign a new one? They are making me sign a new one. Okay. 
So here's one of the important things you have to figure out. Is there, mm-hmm. are there any changes to the costs like royalties or training or any, anything at all that are different mm-hmm. under the new franchise agreement than existed for the current owner? Because yeah. if there uh, are, sorry. Sorry, go on. I asked him about it. Uh, I asked him, hey, what would be different? To say it would, it would, the cost structure would be the same except the, the transfer fee. Uh, and they suggested I split that with the seller 50 50. Um, but the, in terms of other fees, they said they would remain at the same percentage um, as what it is. Some of it is fixed, a very small portion of it is fixed actually, uh, the early franchise. Uh, or the carpet fees or whatever you want to call it. Um, most of it is variable based on gross mm-hmm. uh, income. And that is a percentage, a set percentage that remains the same. 8%? No, uh, it's a set percent and it remains the same. Oh, and it remains the same. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, still do the math. So when you're, when yeah. you're looking at his P&L, if mm-hmm. if your franchise agreement says you know for example eight percent, make sure that his royalty expense on his P and L is eight percent. Like, got it. Check the check the math. Make sure make sure it is the way, yeah. the way it says. That makes sense. Uh, um, and so, the franchise agreement is for how long? Uh, I haven't asked that question specifically. So, have you read the I'll agreement? Have to find out. Oh, they're, they're going to send it over. I haven't, I don't have the agreement. Okay, you don't they're have going it. going to have me sign a new agreement. Right. Okay. Um, and so tell me about the the location. It's a leased location, I would assume? It's a leased location, correct. Okay. And have you had any conversations with the landlord yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. Very early in the process. I haven't made, yeah. Haven't okay. Yet. So... One of the things that you may want to consider is if you're going to be taking over this location, there's one of two things that normally happens. You either have an assignment of the current lease, which means that the lease expiry and extensions that are in the lease currently will remain there. Um, Or sometimes landlords will be open to just signing a new lease with you. Right. Right. So you might want to consider the merits of having the lease and the franchise agreement expire around the same time. Okay. Okay. Just in case conditions change down the road, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. it means that you have this target time where if things aren't going well, you can make a decision to, to close up if you ever have to. Got it. Fair enough. The, um, the landlord can be a significant player in this. Um, mm-hmm. did, did you, were you given any information or indication that there are any increases coming down the road as far as the, the, the lease rate for the property? I, I think it's going to be 3% uh, year over year. That's how the lease is. Uh, again, I spoke with the franchisor uh, just because this was recently transferred in 2020 was the time this was bought. Uh, asked you know, how was the transaction, and um, the information I gather from the from the franchise there, there is not. I mean, the price is not going to be negotiable, but the um, and also this one 
this was in the market for some time. The previous sale fell through due to financing, and that's why it's back. Uh, and with the previous seller, the landlord was willing to extend the contract till the uh, SBA loan expires. I mean, giving them options, not really extending the lease, but giving them, right. uh, I think it was going to be like five-year lease and then five options, something like that. Are you going to borrow money so to buy this? to work with them. I'm sorry, say it again? Are you going to borrow money to buy this? Uh, that was going to be my next question. Should I? Um, I don't want to be cash poor going into it. Mm -hmm. So I would like to finance as much as I can. Uh, I'm not saying like 90%. Uh, that's not what I'm looking at. But maybe 70%, something like that, um, just, to, just to keep the cash. And okay. I can pay down later as, you know, as, as things move forward. So, so have you done the math on this yet? Like if, if you borrow 70% of this, of the purchase price, like let's assume you are able to buy it for, um, you know, 190 inclusive of the fee. Let's just say you're able to negotiate that. Right. Um, right. And you borrow 70% of that. So right. let me get out my calculator here. So we've got 190 times 0.7. That's 133,000. Do you know what kind of amortization, interest rate, and, and payment that's going to work out to? I, I have no idea. Uh, I was hoping this works out to be about 1,800 a month. Uh, again, don't ask me how I got to that number. Just um, I well, have a few properties, so just trying to go by what those conversations come up to and then trying to get it for 10 years. We can yeah. look it up, just the mortgage, mortgage calculator. So let me, uh, let me open this up. And I think that the last thing I saw about interest rates for SBA is that it was, would be around 9%. 9.7. 9.7. 9.7. So it's my interest, negative 133. I'm just typing this into Excel. And you were saying over 120 months? Yeah. Let's see what. Yeah, so uh, it, I put a 9.7 over 10 years. It comes up to 17.35 a month. That's close by. Yeah. Um, yeah, 1735 is what I got to in Excel. So if I take that and I multiply by 12, I get $21,000 almost. And yep. the rule of thumb that I have about debt service is that you don't want to commit more than 50% of your EBITDA to debt service. And so in this example, you got 50,000 of EBITDA and you're committing 21,000 to debt service because, you know, and for everyone listening, out of that EBITDA number, you have to service your debt you also have to uh, pay taxes on on the profit, right? And you also have to uh, take care of any capital reinvestment. Do you know if there's any requirement from the franchisor to do a an update of the location at any point in the next few years? Yeah, I, there, there isn't any. I, I asked about yeah. that as well. There was a rebranding, uh, I mean, not really rebranding, but there was an update that was required, but the current owner performed those when he took over. So it's been done. It's done. Okay. All right. So, 
yeah i mean i would feel comfortable with that i mean okay as long as your due diligence proves out that these the revenue and earnings the numbers is, are valid yeah is there any um possibility of a customer concentration or anything like that going on here i uh i wouldn't know about the concentration but i asked about the foot traffic because um the final sales is provided by the franchisor and he could he could look at those numbers he said on an average over the last two years there's been 275 customers a day mm -hmm. um and and looking at comparing with other franchisees um, the, the per customer number is actually lower at this location uh, than the average. Uh, that would tell me there's not like, so much concentration, but you, you wouldn't know. Like, honestly, you look okay. at each one of those. It's, these are averages. Let's let's look at the other side, supplier concentration, um, because a lot of the ways that this business earns money is because they collect commissions from the shipping companies. And so one of the concerns that I might have is whether those commission rates or anything might change. You know, people who are reliant upon Amazon affiliate programs, for example, a few years ago, there was a big cut to those commissions. Um, you know, I know I'm not sure if there's anything you can do about it, but I, I would want to know what, what those rates are, what the history of those rates are if they've ever been changed before. And you can probably discover that just by Googling. So, you know, I'm sure that they probably have FedEx, uh, UPS and, and, you know, other shipping companies that go there. And I would just spend time Googling like, um, you know, FedEx commission rates to agents or, you know, come up with phrases that would indicate it like a mm -hmm. news article along those lines and just find, just try and see what you find. Uh, I'm not familiar yeah. enough with that industry to know if this is something that has changed at all. But um, if a good chunk of the revenue is coming from just a couple of of these sources, then it would be certainly mm. something. It it would be a form of customer concentration. Got it. Got it. I see what you mean. Yeah, that's a good point. Great. That's why I have to talk to you. <laughs> um. All right. So, so you want to talk deal structure now? So, yeah. you know, ideally you always want to have some amount of seller financing as part of your deal. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes in these franchise deals, the franchisors mm -hmm. actually have policies against it. Okay. Okay. I've run into that before where they don't want the former owner to have any kind of interest or claim on the business that's that's changing hands. Um, one of the nice things about a business like this is that the franchisor probably has all of their sales data, right? So, so you're getting data from a third party, so it's very reliable. Um, what about the expenses? And so, if somebody was trying to be fraudulent, if someone was trying to go out of their way to make a business look better than it really was, and they could not alter or change the sales data, then the way that they would do that is they would affect the expenses. And so they would, they would pay certain things without 
you know, recording those expenses and that would increase, increase the profit. And so just keep that in mind when you're doing the due diligence to try and think of all the different things that a business like this would have as far as expenses. Mm -hmm. The the one area that you particularly have to look at is Mm -hmm. the labor. Because if the current owner, even though they have a manager, if the current owner is going in there and doing work to offset wages from other people, this mm-hmm. is one of the most common ways that people make a business look better than it is. Honestly. Right. And so the way that you the way that you audit this is you look at the hours of operation and you kind of build mm-hmm. yourself a spreadsheet and you say, mm-hmm. how many hours a week? how many of those hours require two employees or three employees? And then you just start multiplying it out and you figure out what the annual wage expense should be based on your calculations of, of how many hours they have to operate. And then compare that with the actual labor expense that they have on their PL and just see if it okay. lines up or not. Yeah. Yeah. The, the current owner um, for for the last few months, he has not been um, he's present, but he's not working, if you know what I mean. Um, so that might actually be a good idea to look at the last few months, especially trying to see how that looks. Yeah, I asked the franchisor if they have any data for the cost this location has versus like other locations, but they said they don't, they don't collect this data from their franchisees right now. They only collect because they care about their commissions. Uh, right. the, you know, they, they only care about how much people are paying, not what the owner is paying. Have you met any other franchisees? Yes, I okay. did, I did. Um, I spoke with a couple of them. Um, they, they had some feedback in terms of, uh, um, you know, working with this franchisor, whether it's a good idea. But in general, they like they like to be in the business. Um, I haven't gone down to ask them more about their cost structure or their profits. I haven't I haven't built that relationship. You know, you don't walk into a store and say, "Hey, how much money you make?" Uh, but I I think in a, in the future conversations, I can bring up a few of these, not specifically how much they make, maybe like what percentage goes into labor, kind of. Is that what you're alluding to? Well, uh, yeah, and and you don't necessarily need to ask them how they're doing, but mm-hmm. you may want to bring a PL for this store into one of those other guys and just mm. discuss it with them. Say, look at, look at this revenue, look at these expenses. Does this seem to make sense to you based on your experience, right? And And they could, because they're familiar with this business, they could look at that list and say, Oh, this seems low, or this seems very high, or, or mm-hmm. where is their expense for this? You know, mm-hmm. and so because they're familiar with the type of business, they mm-hmm. can they can you know look at that and 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 potentially help you very quickly discover if something is amiss. Um, okay. And their feedback about the franchise or was it generally good? Did they they like the system? Yeah, it was generally good. Right. Okay. And had those other franchisees been in it for a long time? 
Uh, yeah, at least one of them. He he worked at the store for very many years, and then he bought the store eventually from the owner. Okay. Uh, so yeah, yeah, at least one of them has been there for some time. What what was the motivation given for the seller of this store? Because if he only bought it in 2020, that's a pretty short time to to own the business. Turnover. Yeah, he uh, had reasons. So that's why he hasn't been able to work in the business. He had to hire a manager this year. Um, he couldn't, you know, he, he he couldn't work at the business. Uh, he had to have someone else do it. And maybe, sorry, did you say he fell ill or he got injured? Uh, I didn't get into the detail, but it sounded like he got injured. Okay, okay. And so he got injured. He hired a manager to run it for him. He still has some level of involvement. Yeah. Some level of involvement. All right. Um, Is there any different product line or service or anything that the other franchisees are doing that this location is not? Uh, Some of them are also doing like fingerprinting services and a few other ancillary services, which uh, this location, I don't know how much of it they're doing, at least um, maybe not enough, just by going by, you know, their breakdown of income. Okay. Um, How about things like shredding and document destruction? Are they doing that too? Uh, They club it under a heading, so I'm assuming they are, yeah. Okay. and so how do you feel about this? How did you find it? Was it advertised on a business for sale website or did you, how did it you come was, to it find was it? Advertised, yeah, yeah. Okay. But the franchise store was advertising it. Uh, that's how I found it. They were helping the franchisee sell it. Right. Okay. The broker and wall. All right. Um, what else would you like to cover, Ira? So um, that was the other thing. There is no broker involved. Um, I was thinking of talking to these other franchisees and asked them, hey, do you have an accountant? Do you have an attorney that you use? Um, but I, I wanted to ask you, hey, how do I put together a team for this? Because oh, I'm, I'm very early in the process. I was hoping, you know, I catch a broker or somebody. But um, this one, I mean, just by the looks, so far, it looked good to me, uh, but what do I know, right? So, yeah. So, yeah, you're you're going to need an attorney. You're going to want an attorney to help you review the franchise agreement. Um, you're going to want an attorney to help with the purchase and sale agreements and and all that other stuff that that is going to happen. And you're going to want mm-hmm. someone who has experience in helping people buy and sell businesses. The the accountant. I think it's a great idea to ask the other franchisees who they use because there's real value in finding an accountant that has other clients in the same industry um, Mm -hmm. because they'll be more familiar with with how your industry works. The accountant serves two functions when you're buying a business. When you're running the business, you need an accountant for all the things that accountants usually do. But when you're buying a business, usually you want an accountant who might be able to help you with some some due diligence work. The due diligence is going to be pretty simple with this business, quite honestly, because you've Mm -hmm. got the sales data from the franchisor. 
one of the things, for example, that you would do is you would ask for the last 12 months of bank statements from the business, and you would simply compare the deposits that have been made in the bank with the sales data. And if it lines up pretty closely, then it's a good confirmation. Yeah, this is obviously what the sales were, because this is how much money was deposited in the bank account. And then likewise, you can go and you can you know, sort of verify the expenses over the run of the year as well. Due diligence is all about third-party validation. Finding information that doesn't come from the seller that reinforces the information that did come from the seller so that it, it kind of gives you confirmation that the information is real. Um, at the end of the day, financial statements are just ink on paper, right? And so seeing how much money went in and out of the bank account and where it went is going mm -hmm. to help you figure out if the statements are an accurate representation of what happened in the business. And mm -hmm. really the only time period I would be concerned about would be the last two years, the, the period of time where it's been doing about 450,000 in revenue. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah. Makes sense. I, I did ask the, the franchise about the self-financing part, but they said, uh, they are not for or against it, but it would be between me and the seller in terms of negotiation. Uh, now that they're open, um, what would be a good idea um, to ask for? Um, just like you said, right? I, I just wanted there just so um, there's yeah. some support and you know, so, I have something to fall back on, not necessarily I need it. Yeah. So, so I would want a meaningful amount. So, you know, if you end up paying 190,000 for this business, like mm -hmm. 20 or 25% seller financing, I think would be reasonable. Mm -hmm. But if you're, if you're, if you don't want to exceed an overall debt amount of 70%, um, what it would mean is that you would take a smaller loan from the bank. Right. The, you know, what, what are you comfortable with? Like if, if the guy gave you, I, I would, I would try to keep it to 70%, the overall debt. I wouldn't go over that. Right. So, so if you, if you had a bank loan for, mm -hmm. um, if you had a bank loan for, you know, 50% and then you asked him to finance 20%, that would be 70%. He's going to want his money. He isn't going to want to wait. 10 years. He's not going to wait, want to wait 10 years to collect um, $38,000. But what you might be able to get him to agree to is that you make payments over a couple of years and then, you know, some kind of balloon or big payment to kind of take care of his note. Mm. But, but I would want... I would want to owe him the money for at least two years because you want to have an offset clause in that note that says this note is subject to offset in the case of material misrepresentation, just as a tool to hold him accountable to what he represents to you. Well, are, yeah. 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 What they're providing in terms of ink on paper. Yeah. But, but the reason why I'm asking you what you're comfortable with is because if you, if you did do this structure in that way, and you ended up mm -hmm. paying off his loan after two years, 
then over the course of the 10-year period, you're only financing 50% of the business. Right. And so what I would do is I would actually build a, a little cash flow forecast and I would play with the different scenarios. Um, mm -hmm. Because you might want to increase the overall amount of your initial leverage. So you, you might say, I'll put 20% down, I'll borrow 60 mm -hmm. from the bank, I'll get him to finance 20. And so that way, after two years, when I pay him out, I still have a, a greater amount of leverage over the long haul. And, and have you spoken to a banker at all about this deal yet? I, not specifically this, this deal, but the bankers I was speaking with, uh, or even the, the brokers, they were saying it would be hard to find financing for a loan this size. It's small. Uh, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. 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 They, they were saying, some of them were like, hey, I, we only look at anything over 400,000. Others were saying, yeah, you know what? It's a, it's a small, if it's a smaller size, your fees are going to be higher. So you might want to just consider seller financing and not go the FDA route at all. Well, and, and that's where I was, that's what I was thinking too is, My normal advice to people is to make multiple offers. Mm -hmm. So you make them one offer that has the bank financing and another offer that is entirely seller financed. And maybe the seller financed offer is for a little bit of a higher selling price. So it okay. kind of creates an inducement or an incentive for him to do it. Uh, do mm -hmm. you know if he has an outstanding loan? I do not. Okay. I do not. Um, you might want to ask. I mean, he might tell mm -hmm. you. Um, if he does have an outstanding loan, then it may mm -hmm. open the door to the possibility of assuming this debt. Okay. Right. And so that, that could mm -hmm. be another avenue that you go down. If he was successful okay. in getting a loan for it. Mm -hmm. well, I'll have to find out. I do not know. So I'll have to find out. Yeah. Okay. That's. Um, the other thing is, what is, what have you seen um, these type of businesses? Either me or my wife don't have any experience in this type of business. We thought this shouldn't be too complicated, but um, you know, you've seen multiple types of businesses, and you know, people taking over. So I just wanted to get your thoughts on what are your thoughts about this? Um, if for somebody new, like. Me and my wife, which would you suggest going into it? Uh, especially well, considering my full time job is really going to be full time. I, I don't yeah. think I'll be able to. Yeah. The advantage you have here is that it's a franchise. So you, you have support and presumably training and everything provided by the franchisor, right? Mm -hmm. And, and I mean, this, it is a pretty simple business. I mean, I've been to these places before okay. and, okay. you know, for the for you and your wife to learn the different procedures, you know, how do you prepare a package? How do you you do this? How do you do that? I mean, you're going to learn that pretty quickly. I mean, I would imagine most employees are are brought on board and brought up to speed pretty quickly in a matter of days, probably. Mm -hmm. The the stuff that's always going to be a challenge for everyone is the more general business stuff. 
you know, managing employee issues, you know, if there's a conflict in the workplace, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the, I'm just trying to think about, you know, is there any kind of capital reinvestment required in this business? Do they have any major pieces of equipment like big photocopiers or printers or things like this? Yes, they do. Uh, part of the expense is um, is a big printer, which uh, has a lease that is mm-hmm. expiring in uh, 2024. And it, it doesn't look like there will be a lot of payments to keep the printer after the lease. It would just be like almost you don't make the payments anymore. And, kind of and did they try to did they try to add back that lease payment to yeah. make it part of EBITDA or they left it as an expense? They left it as an expense. Okay. So so that's great because what that represents is CapEx, you know, for machinery and equipment. And when the lease comes to an end, it means that that money is available either to get a new piece of equipment or to replace it, whatever has to be done. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know that there are businesses that are successful in this space, and it sounds like this is a pretty good operation. Um, I've met a lot of people who have been in this space who um, who have struggled. I mean, just like any business category. Um, mm-hmm. To me, this is a business that has a lot of overhead, you know, the cost of the location, the cost of the staffing. If a business like this you know, probably if you looked at those financial statements back when it only did 300,000 of business, it probably didn't make much money. And mm-hmm. so so that's the challenge with this business. It's just, hmm, this is going to sound strange, but I mean, obviously you serve your customers well, so they want to come back. But a lot of it simply has to do with the luck of not having a new competitor open up close by or mm-hmm. that people continue to use these services in the same degree as they are. So I I would imagine if there was some kind of big downturn in the economy, maybe people wouldn't use it as much. You know, the the normal business risks exist Mm -hmm. here. Um, For you to be able to pull out an EBITDA of 50 grand on sales of 450, I think are pretty good for this sort of business. It's a little bit more than 10%. Mm, Okay. So that's actually a good segue for my next question. Uh, we've been in this long business cycle with everything has been pumped up and up and up and up and going yeah. up. Uh, what should I, I mean, I, I don't know how long you've been in this industry or what you remember. Uh, I, I wasn't following UPS or FedEx or DHL back in 2008 when it was financial crisis. So how did they do in, in case of a downturn? Is, People, I would assume, still ship stuff, but may not be buying so many. Like, I don't know how that really works. What mm. would be the dynamics? Yeah, I I think that the DHL and FedEx and UPS's business is probably a little bit different today than it was back then. Mm. Back then, what? I can remember. I can remember um, because I live near an airport that has air services for most of these carriers. Um, we can bring things to the airport pretty late and get them onto the plane. So at, some of these guys have a cutoff of 9 p.m. And, and I can remember racing out there at 8.30 at night because I wanted to get a document overnighted somewhere. Mm. I can't remember the last time I had to send a document to anybody, right? Mm. It, it's all just 
over the internet now. And so, you know, I see things that surprise me. Like I'll see the UPS guy at the shopping mall in the morning when it just opens and they're bringing boxes of clothes to the stores. And I'm like, wow, they're sending clothes by courier. And it, it does make sense because they're, they're trying to practice a just in time inventory and they're talking about a very high margin item. And so they're replenishing maybe on a daily basis. And so I think that these big shipping companies now, it's not so much about documents and people sending gifts or packages to other people. They're, they're part of the normal consumer uh, economy. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're part of the logistics of all the things that move around, you know? Um, mm-hmm. People ordering stuff online, getting it delivered, all that sort of thing. So I I think that they're more exposed to general consumer spending than they are to business activities. But, you know, industry is still using these guys, you know, shipping parts that need to arrive. The the question would be, would those guys be using your store? You know, Mm. would would you be profiting from someone who's sending a, a replacement part for a forklift? Right. I think that, I think that your store is going to be highly geared towards that consumer consumption. Um, But if there's a big downturn, you're worried, could that stuff go down? Well, I was a business broker from 2008 until 2011. So I was, my timing was perfect because I was a business broker during a recession and some other things happened during recessions. And one of the things that happens is a lot of people lose their jobs and a lot of people's maneuver when they lose their job is to try to get something going on their own. And that can actually be very good for a business like this because it means people need business cards. People want to get a mailbox because they don't want to use their home as their mailing address. People want to get copies made. People want to, you know, rent computers and stuff like that. So the, uh, it's funny, I made a video, I recorded it, that's going to be released here in December, all about um, the best kind of business to buy if there's going to be a recession. And my answer essentially is the kind of business you want to buy is the one that is adaptable. The one where you have information in as real time as you can get so that you can make changes to the business. The, the big change that you would have a hard time with would be the introduction of a new product or service, right? Mm-hmm. The advantage of being right. part of a franchise system like you are is that, it, you know, are you free to add new things to the business if you want? It's, it's constrained, is it? Constrained, yeah. Yeah. Um, you can pick and choose from what the franchise are offered. Or you can pitch it to them and have them approve before you do it. I'm not going to be able to just go in and you know add something to my business because in my local zip there is enough demand for it and there is no not enough service. I cannot add it. Okay. Um, that was one of the questions I asked them, and they said no. That's not how it works. If it's one of the services we already offer and you don't offer it, you can add it. 
if it is something you want to add, it's in line with what we do already. Then, you, and I also spoke with the, this is one of the things I was speaking with the, the other franchisees and they, they were the same thing. You know, you, you pitch it to them, but a lot of times they just say no. So you won't be able to easily add. It's not, it's not as easy as the franchise will make it sound like, hey, pitch it to me, we'll approve it and you can do it. Never Did they give you any examples of things that people had tried to pitch? Um, it, there were, I think somebody was trying to add a, add an ATM machine. Um, they flat out said, no, that's not what we, what we do. Somebody was trying to add more office supplies and because it was related. Um, and the franchise has said, we are not uh, a retail store. Um, you know, you, you can have like limited stuff, but not something you want to add a lot. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, I, I was going to say that with a network of franchisees, if other people figured out things that were good at making money, then it can spread more quickly because you're all related to each other mm -hmm. through the system. Um, right. Obviously, if you guys start to struggle, that means the franchisor is going to start to struggle and their attitude mm -hmm. might change. If, if there's a downturn, you know, they, if they see that their royalties are shrinking because you guys aren't doing as well, it can create an incentive for them to look for other ways to help make more money. The, um, but really, when you get into a franchise, um, you are subordinating yourself to what I call sometimes it's almost like another level of layer of government, right? Because, because they get to tell you all kinds of stuff about how you run your business. Yeah. You'll have a boss. Sorry, you cut out there for a moment. Uh, I said you still have a boss. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, you you have all the risks of being in business, but then you have these constraints that you have to live within. Right. And, you know, it can be worthwhile. I mean, they can deliver value. What I usually say to people when they want to get into a franchise is I'll say, make a list of what you get from them and what it's going to cost you. And just, and just see what the value proposition is. So maybe, for instance, they're able to get you a higher commission from the, the carriers, for example. Well, that's something of real value, you know, if they're able yeah. to do that. If they're able to get you other, you know, your paper at a lower cost, for example, for the copier, because they're, they're pooling all of the purchasing and getting some kind of rebate, then obviously that's some, something of value. Um, in, in in a lot of franchises, the franchisor is in charge of, you know, innovating and coming out with new products, new offerings, and that kind of thing. It doesn't sound like there's as much of that going on in this kind of system. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, they obviously the 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 marketing and that kind of stuff is is going to be important. Is it a well-known brand name in this market in your marketplace? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And and the other stores are they close enough that it creates a more of a general awareness amongst the public that this is a a place that you can go to get these services? So uh, the stores I were talking to are not close by, but there are other stores close by. Okay. Um. Did you ask anyone if any of the other local owners had looked at this store? 
I have not asked them. Okay. I asked the franchisor about why some of these stores are so close by and not others. And I, I was told that they were grandfathered because now they have a certain radius where they don't, they don't put a second store, but these were, um, these were open a lot before. Okay, so some of your competitors are fairly close. Uh, yes. No, I mean, it, it really depends. I don't think people drive like five miles to go to drop off a mail, uh, at least not where I live. Yeah. Um, so usually people would try to go like some, something that's within like two to three miles. Yeah. Uh, but it was, it's like almost on, on the border of like the three mile radius. Yeah, to, to me, these types of businesses locate in like a commercial plaza with other services. So if you know you need to drop off some things, but you need to visit the drugstore and you want to go visit, you know, the grocery store, you go to that place that has all of these services in one spot. So you can park the car and you can do all three of your of your yeah, errands at once. Yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, uh, think I've come to my last question if you have a few minutes uh, yeah what are these what are the typical contingencies that you would put on a contract like this contingencies um, i'm sure like the, the attorney can drop something but is there something i should tell him hey do you want to consider this yeah so you know when you make an offer to them you want to have an, an offer that is non-binding so mm -hmm. you say based on the information i've been given this is what i'm willing to offer subject to so this would be the first contingency is arranging financing under terms that are acceptable to me uh the next thing would be um coming to an agreement with the franchisor on the franchise agreement so subject mm -hmm. to that as well the third thing would be subject to arriving at a lease under acceptable terms with the landlord mm -hmm. so you, you need all those things to fall into place and then I usually put a, a, a catch-all contingency, like subject to the approval of my attorney and other advisors, mm -hmm. right? And so, so that kind of leaves it open, you know, for any other kind of thing. And then the most important I one. I didn't approve it. Well, yeah, and, and and then the you know, and then of course it's subject to due diligence, and don't let yourself get penned into a due diligence time frame that is short like they might want to give you 2 weeks for due diligence or something like this i always i always put in my agreements that due diligence was from from uh acceptance of the offer until closing so that if anything happened mm -hmm. i i could use that to get out of the contract and some people pushed back on that but the problem that you often run into is that people will want you to agree to a two week due diligence, and then they'll delay getting you the documents you asked for. Mm. Right. And so part of getting ready for this is to create a due diligence checklist, which is the items you want to see. And so you can find due diligence checklists online just by Googling that term. You find a list, you go through it, and maybe delete some things that don't apply to you. But then you wanna take that due diligence checklist to your attorney and to your accountant because they may wanna add other items to it, right? Mm -hmm. And so 
once you have that list in a complete format, then you'll, you're ready to give it to the seller. They then can respond either by providing the item you've asked for or by saying it doesn't exist, or maybe by giving you some other kind of feedback with respect to that item. Got it. Well, uh, I, I said last, but maybe I'll throw in one more there. Sure. Uh, for a loan of this size, do you have any suggestions on, on where I can look at? I mean, somebody was telling me, hey, why don't you just get a HELOC? Uh, no, don't even yeah. Get a so, um, do you have any tips? Well, you know, if you want to try to do it as a business loan, you might try a community bank. So a, a, a bank that might have a dozen branches, you know, that kind of bank that is mm -hmm. present in the community might be more willing to look at it. Um, doing something like a HELOC, um, you know, at the end of the day, it's probably going to, it would be cheaper than an SBA loan because you're not going to face the SBA, you know, um, insurance premium. You're not going to face their application fees because it's secured by your home. You're going to probably get a better interest rate. Um, mm -hmm. if it's an option to you a lot, and it is to a lot of people, here's the other thing too, is the SBA is going to want guarantees. They're going to probably want to put a lien on your house anyway. So when you look right. at it from that point of view, some people, if they, if they, if you have a net worth far in excess of what you're looking to borrow here, it might make sense just to go do it as a HELOC. Yeah. The, that was great. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, good luck, Ayer. That's all I had. Uh, do I still have a minute? <laughs> you you do, but I'm going to use it to let you know that uh, when the deal closes, I want you to send me a picture of yourself in front of the store. I will do that, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, it, I, I would have signed up for the business buyer advantage. Uh, that was on my mind, but I, I already saw this offer and it was like it, it, into the process when I found you. Uh, but I'll surely see you there. <laughs> so it won't be just one minute. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Well, I hope you have a happy holiday season and I hope you're able to pull this deal together. And I hope that everything that you've been shown as far as the numbers and everything turns out to be accurate when you're finished your due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. Wish me good luck. I need a lot of it. <laughs> All right. Have a great day. Thank you so much. You have happy holidays too. Thank All you. All right. Bye-bye. Great.